The name of the sermon is called The Four Fears, not based, by the way, it was not named that this week as things, as people start panicking and all that stuff. The four fears that I have here, and I, and I sort of, there's sort of an axis of fear on here, and so I've got sort of four quadrants. I'm not saying that this group has this fear, but in this quadrant, not with, without getting up or anything, you can just take your mind and put yourself in the little area that you think you suffer with most. Okay, so I'm going to name this one first. See, this is strange because I'm not in it, but depression or the fear that there's no mercy. For those of you who suffered with depression, that's the way that I perceive it the most is that that the things that are going wrong are the way it ought to be and it's just there's no mercy and no relief. Is that For those of you who've been depression sufferers like me, that's often what depression is is that there's no mercy, but it's a fear and it keeps us from doing something. If I come right here, that's this one, this little group back here. So if you have dread, whatever you're facing will end you. Have you ever had that fear in your life that something was going to end you? You can just pick your little brain up and put yourself over here in spirit. What about this one? Anger or the fear that there is no justice. Have you ever been so, you get, there's no justice, justice will never come, and so what do we do? We, we resent and we get angry. Anybody ever been in that section? Okay. I saved this one for last because it's the one most people feel. Abandonment, or the fear that you're alone in this. So, no mercy, Right? This is where depression happens. Dread. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. It is a freight train. It's going to get me. There's no justice. It will never come. Nothing will ever be set right. God is not God. We're going to get there. The question here is the spot about happy and content. The spot is about happy and content. But right here, almost all of us, and then this last one, remember, abandonment, that you're alone in this, that that you're alone, nothing will ever be different than that. How, How many of you have just had, within one of those four, your main worry structure mentioned? Any, anybody here that we didn't mention what you, what you struggle with? Oh, come on. I, yeah. Is there anybody here that we didn't mention your main area of struggle? Okay. Okay. Good. I need to talk about this point. And if you've been in the middle of my, or if you've been in my Wednesday night Bible study, you would know the third thing we always look for in the text is the spot where God talks about a hope and a future for his people. But in order to get to that spot of a hope and a future, you need to do one particular thing. And this is, the, this is, this is a little hard. We've been talk, I talked about this in the middle school group or with my 
It's not just middle school because I've got Carmen in there as well, but how we're known and how we see ourselves often drives whatever force or area you're in. For instance, when I start to take control, one of the things I struggle with personally out of my own self is to experience mercy and to show it. Now, I don't know if that's your opinion of me, but that's how I see myself. And when I'm taking control and I'm becoming Lord of the universe and I'm making sure because God's not doing it, I sort of travel deeper and deeper into depression because there's no mercy. Why is there no mercy? Because I struggle in that area and I then don't experience it because this is the main struggle of all humanity is to get away from the spot where God is Lord it doesn't matter where, which direction you go. If I go over here and I say, well, I have to be able to do everything in my own power. Well, how much power do I have, actually? Very little. And so pretty soon, if I travel over here in my own power and I have to be in charge of making everything happen and only the, the only good things happen because I do them, you can imagine that there is a light at the end of the tunnel and it is a freight train and it's coming because you can't resist that. You don't have the power to do it. And, and now this is, the dread thing is not one of the things that I struggle with so much, but I know people that struggle with dread and fear that they're not going to make it and that things are going to go wrong all the time and that they're powerless Sometimes we come to this spot and the real powerlessness is to think you have power, but not really, but you don't. To know that you don't have any power and ask for God's assistance is to recognize that there is a power in the universe and it's not you. (laughs) There is somebody merciful in the universe and it's not me, it's him. If we travel over this way, and this is the anger one, right? There's no justice in the world. Nothing ever goes right. God will never fix it. Do any of you struggle with that? You don't have to raise your hand. Just raise the hand of your heart. Do you struggle with whether or not God is just? Or God's going to make it right? The key to that struggle from my understanding as I read the Bible and everything else is this, that I start judging with my standards what should be done from my point of view without very good information. And then it isn't done right. Let me ask you a question. Without very good information, with bad methodology and not a very good perspective, are you ever going to end up in the right location? So the thing I think about in judgment that is so harsh is this. That I don't consider anybody else in the justice equation when I'm mad about it. I want justice for everybody else, but mercy 
for me. I want to speed on the highway, but I want everybody else to get a ticket. <laughs> am I am I not ro- am I on base there? Okay. You need to talk a little bit about what it feels to be abandoned and feel alone in the world. When you feel alone and that there's nobody with you, is that the truth? Are you alone on earth? She says no. Are you alone on earth? Matter of fact, there's nine billion of us. But nobody's going through what I'm going through. No, nobody, nobody could possibly be going through this. I'm hurting in a way that nobody else has ever hurt. Do you, do you hear a common thread amongst all these things is there's a self-delusion in the process. I would do this better than God. God has forgotten me. There's no mercy in the world and I, and I speak out of this one a lot, and, and I'm looking over there and looking at Marjane because she knows I struggle with this, is this mercy. When I'm struggling in depression, I actually feel like I have a really clear view of the world with no mercy in it. It feels more accurate. It isn't. I'm the one that puts myself in the box. All of these come out of this in the self-delusion. And so we talked about this in, our, in my Sunday school group this morning, is how do you begin to know who you are and who you're not? And how do you come back to this place of hope? There's a song I've been thinking about recently, and I, I made Randy listen to it in the car the other day, and it's a switchfoot called, song called uh, Hope is the Anthem of My Soul. How do you get hope? How do you get out of anger and back to hope? How do you get out of I'm alone when you're not alone? But not only are you not alone because there's other people in the world, I need to go back and deal with this just a little bit because I forgot to deal with it. I was standing over there in the pews. You're not alone because the Lord is with you. Okay, so you might feel like he's not with you or he's not nearby, but that's not the truth. Your perception of his location does not control his location. Your perception of his mercy does not mean you're not receiving it. Your perception of what's going to end you does not control what will end you. And by the way, you know you're 100 for 100 for the 100 worst days of your life you've made it through. You had a hundred days you weren't going to make it through. You've made it. You're here. Now, that's a hard way to look at it. But your perception of his justice doesn't mean that he's not being just. 
one of the things I think about in the justice thing is just like this, is that when God corrects us, he doesn't do it the way that other humans do it. He doesn't overcorrect. Can you imagine how hard that is? That he doesn't overcorrect us. He doesn't over mercy. He doesn't, he's with us. He doesn't, he's with us. We're not alone, but he doesn't go, well, you have to feel me right now. So it's all of these things all together. I've got some verses about this. Um, And if you want to look up on the depression one, no matter what you sense, Hebrews 6, 6, 18 and 19, no matter what you sense about your future, you have one that he's made for you. That's an interesting thing to think about it, isn't it? I could have made my own future. I've tried a number of times in my life. It wasn't as good a future as the one that God had planned for me. And, and my example for that is, I, I hear pages turning. You go into Hebrews 6.18. You're just trying to, okay. I got Bibles turning even on the pages in the, in the phones. It's good. For this one, here's your verse over here for, for a dread. Ephesians 3.12. Ephesians 3.12. Am I going too fast? Does somebody have um, the Hebrews 6 one? Or did we lose it? Did you find it? Look at this. Yeah, I'm going to start with 17. So when God desired to show you more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he interposed with an oath. This, is, this doesn't sound like English to me. Is this the way we talk? <laughs> so you're supposed to translate it. I'm supposed to translate it. Sorry, just a second. Uh, it's a pew Bible, you're correct. My bad. Hebrews 6, go. So God has given us both his promise and his oath. The two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, who, we who have fled to him for refuge, can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Jesus has already gone in there for us and has become the eternal high priest in the order of Melchizedek. That's that Hebrews verse about mercy. Do you think you don't have a future? you think there's no spot for you? He's made a way. Okay. If we're doing the... Ephesians 1. Ephesians. This is as fast as I can go through this. I didn't bring them up. I should have done that. Ephesians 3.12. This is for dread. This was his eternal plan starting in verse 11, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. That's God working through Christ Jesus. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into his presence 
So please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I'm suffering for you, and you should feel honored. Look, you're over here, and what you think is going to end you is you're afraid of that. But the real promise here is that you can come into his presence where you are and where you're going. And no matter what you're going through or what you think might end you is not going to be the end of you. This is promises for the Bible people. Greg says, if you believe. That's right. We're doing promises for the Bible people today. <laughs> okay. Is this, is, this, is this timely for you maybe? I, I did plan this a couple of weeks ago before I knew this was going on. From Isaiah 30, 17. have to go to the Old Testament every so often. This is for our judgment people. This is God's justice. From verse 15, I guess. This is what the Sovereign Lord says, the Holy One of Israel. Only in returning to me and resting in me will you be saved. In quietness and confidence is your strength. But you would have none of it, he says. You said, no, we will get our help from Egypt. They will give us swift horses for riding into battle, but only the swiftness you are going to see is the swiftness of the enemy chasing you. One of them will chase a thousand of you. Five of them will make you all flee. You will be like a flagpole. That's like searching your own justice. You've got to make it happen yourself. So the Lord must wait for you to come to him so he can show you his love and compassion. For the Lord is a faithful God and blessed are those who wait for his help. I mean, that's the key to being judgmental is you're not actually waiting on him. You're going you're gonna to jump to judgment ahead of time. Before it's time. I'm reminded of a story of this restaurant that I went to as a kid that she used to say, you have a reservation for six. Ten to six is not the time. Neither is ten after six. The time's the time. Be there. With God, the time for justice is in his time and not ours. Let's not rush to that. But in order to do that, we have to stop being the Lord of our own lives. This is it. On, on uh, I am not alone. This is from Deuteronomy 31. I must be spelling Deuteronomy wrong. E-U, not U-E. It's the German spelling. <laughs> All right, the, the value pronounces the second one. That's the German spelling. Deuteronomy 31 um, six. I'm going to start earlier than that. Five. The Lord will hand over you to you, the people who live there, 
and you must deal with them as I have commanded you. So be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not panic before them, for the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you. Why is that such a big deal for not being afraid or not feeling alone? Well, we think we're the ones that have to take God places. You've never taken God anywhere. He has always taken you. You were never there. He was always there ahead of you. This is a mistake of street witnessing. This is a mistake of worry. This is a mistake of everything to think that we're instrumental in where God is and what God's doing in our lives. Now, how do we get back to this place of hope instead of being pretending like we're the Lord of the universe? There's really a three-step process to this. The first thing is you got to give up your right to be number one in the world. And this is hard for the drivers of the world because, you know, that person cut me off. How could they do that to me? How dare they? That is the key place, the first and simplest place where I'm the Lord of the universe, the center of all attention comes into place. It's the easiest to explain to me. They cut me off. Don't they know that I'm the center of everything? You've got to give that up. First off, it's not true. And by the way, they weren't cutting you off. They didn't notice you. If you'd been the center of attention, they would have noticed you. But you're not. Matter of fact, most of the people that do things to you don't actually do them to you. They just happen because you happen to be nearby. They weren't thinking about you at all. They're the center of the universe too. And if they're the center, how could you be? Or if you are, how could they be? But the Lord is on the throne of the universe, not us. So the first step to finding your way out of these fears is to recognize that you're not in charge, that the Lord is. Now, how do you do that? Well, first off, you start to see this unnatural process, and I say unnatural. Let me put my air quotes on this unnatural process, okay? It's an unnatural process for us to recognize that somebody else is in charge. But you have to begin to open your eyes to see where God is Lord. So the first thing you have to say is, well, I tried to make that happen, but it didn't happen, so I'm clearly not in charge. So the first step of fixing this is to recognize that you're not in charge. The second is to start to recognize who is in charge. The third step is to change your direction from facing the way that you think is right to the way that he thinks is right. Now, how do we do that? This is really, for me, really practically. We start out in the universe in a place filled with hope, right? How many of you love the little baby coming in to children's moment like this, right? It's a place of hope, right? It's precious. We start there, and we turn, and we travel as fast as we can away from that spot 
in whichever direction we choose to go. And then we get mad that we're over there and justice isn't being served correctly. We're the ones that have moved. So, but if I'm facing this way and I'm yelling about justice and I'm not turning my back on you other than to be obvious about this, is that the, the third step of recognizing that it's not my justice in the world that matters, but his justice is to do this. I will accept his justice and turn around. And so the very first step is this, repent. I mean the third step, right? Because you can't repent if you don't know what's going on. And you have to know what you're doing to repent. And you have to know that you're choosing not my way, but his. And in order for you to do that, you have to recognize that your way didn't work. My way over there of depression doesn't work for me or anybody around me. If I'm caught over here full of judgment, does that work for you? you have any experience being around people that are just full of judgment? Does that work for them? I know they're just thriving with friends, aren't they? They're just thriving. They've got friends coming out there. No, they don't. They've got people around them trying to make sure they're not getting judged. You have to repent and turn toward the Lord. He is the Lord of the universe. The fear factor in our world is is when we start to take control in whichever way we go. I'm not doing this for you to diagnose anybody else. I'm not giving you information to say, they always think they're alone. They've obviously chosen against the Lord. This is for you to measure you. Remember Dave's, Dave's analogy is, is God doesn't give you a yardstick to measure anybody else's faith, only your own. But if you're feeling alone, If you're feeling depressed, and I, and I need to make sure if, as I say this again, I'm not talking about clinical depression where chemicals are wrong. Do you, do you understand the difference here? Okay. The thing that you can do is turn and change direction. If you're feeling dread in the future, you can get yourself off the throne of the universe and, give, and recognize his power and authority in the situation. All of this, all of this in me first, in my relationship with the Lord first, because I am his and he is mine. But we don't start off with he's mine We start off with, I am his, and he is mine. He's principle to all of our lives. We need him in every aspect. As the music team moves into place, let's pray. Lord Jesus, I ask that you would turn our faces towards you no matter where we are, that we would turn and recognize your authority and that our fear, our concerns, our 
manipulations of the world would then start to fade away, first in us and then towards others. In your precious name, Lord Jesus, amen.